Welcome to Insight, a podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. I'd like to introduce you to the Gospel of John. Even if it's familiar to you, I hope I can share some fresh insights with you. This Gospel is unique among the Gospels, and in this episode we're going to find out what the author himself says is his purpose for writing. Today we're just going to get in sort of a, an introductory flavor, just sort of dip our toe into this great piece of world literature, which, by the way, that it is that. It is worth studying the Gospel of John simply as, a, as an incomparable piece of world literature, uh, one of the great books that have been written in the history of the world. Even if it were not for a sub- its subject matter, it would be worth reading for that very reason. But the subject matter makes it absolutely essential reading for everyone, but especially if you are a Christian. You cannot afford to overlook this book. And you probably haven't. You've probably had some encounter with this book if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this probably is the first book of the Bible, the first book of the New Testament that you have read through, if you have read through any of them. If you haven't, I challenge you to do so. Just take 21 days with God and read a chapter of the Gospel of John each day. Take notes on it and uh, uh, for, for each of those days. And that 21 days you spend with God in the Gospel of John, I believe, will be life-changing to you. But we're going to take a little bit more time than 21 days and uh, just kind of go it, go through it in a more leisurely fashion. Today, I just want us to get intro- introduced to it and uh, to begin to ease into it and to see what is this book written for? What is the purpose of the Gospel of John? It's very distinctive. And... One of the distinctive things about this gospel is that he tells us exactly why he wrote this book and why he wants us to read it. In order to find that out, we'll look not at the beginning of the book. We're going to start our study of the gospel of John at the end. Look at the 20th chapter of the gospel of John and see what it has to say. At the end of the 20th chapter, near the end of the gospel, he writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, take a moment with that. First of all, see what the purpose, he says, is not. He does not say that the purpose of this book is to tell you about the life of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he kind of denies that that is the main purpose of the book. If what he was trying to do was tell us all of the information, everything that we could know about Jesus, he says... 
<laughs> the book would be too long. And matter, look a little bit further on over into chapter 21 and verse, uh, well, the last verse of the book. The last verse of the book, chapter 21, verse 25, says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So the author of the Gospel of John says, if you're trying to tell everything that there is to know and everything that there is that, to find out about Jesus, everything that he did, everything that he said, <sighs> there'd be no end to it. There was more that he said and did that can be put into a book, that can be put into a library of books. Well, if now if that's a hopeless project, why did he write then? He wrote so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word Christ is a Greek translation of the Jewish word Mashiach or Messiah. Mashiach, Messiah, and Christ, Christos in Greek, is anointed one. The anointed one. The one that God has chosen, the one that God has appointed, the one that God has anointed to be his specific and special representative, ruling on this earth, ruling over the kingdom of God. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, a man whose nature is distinct, a man who is a man and yet is more than a man. He is God's own Son. And what does that mean? Well, John is going to go into some detail explaining to us throughout his book what that means, and we're going to see it. So I'm going to save some of that discussion for when we get there. He wants you to know that about him. It's not enough to know what Jesus did. It's not enough to know what Jesus said. It is vital that you know who he was and who he is. And that is John's purpose for writing. But that's not all. It's important to know that, but not just know it, but to believe. And not simply to believe it, but to believe in it. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the, Son, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Apostle Paul had a large point of the word faith. The word faith, the noun faith, is very significant in the writings of the Apostle Paul. The noun faith never appears in the Gospel of John. Does that surprise you? 
The noun faith never appears, but the verb believe in its various forms appears 100 times. Faith is not a noun to John. Faith is a verb. Well, someone might say, well, you have faith and you have believing. Those are two different things. Faith is one thing, believing is another. Well, in English, that may be true. In the English language, we make a distinction between faith and believing. We say that, well, it's one thing to have faith, it's another thing to believe. That's what we say. We make distinctions that way. There are different shades of meaning between those two English words. But it's not so in Greek. In the Greek language in which John wrote, faith and believe is a noun and a verb with the same root. The noun faith is the noun pistis. The verb to believe is the verb pistuo. It's the same root, it's the same word. There is not a distinct, what I'm trying to say is in the Greek language in which John writes, there's not a distinction between having faith and believing. But it's significant to John that it's always a verb. It's always something that is done. It is always something to which one commits himself. It is always something that one is doing. Believing. It is an activity of the soul for John. It is not merely a state of being for him, but it's something active. We're going to see how that works out. We're also going to see that the word believe itself, though it's used a hundred different times in the Gospel of John, is used several different ways and has several different shades of meaning. And sometimes it means, in the same verse, it will mean one thing and then another. It is one thing to believe. It is another thing to believe, and by believing, to have life in his name. There is such a thing as believing, but falling short of gaining eternal life. So we're going to find out how that plays out in the Gospel of John. That's going to be an interesting study. I hope you're going to look forward to it. Let's talk about how John makes his point, how John uh, puts these things together. The Gospel of John is written in very basic, straightforward language. His Greek, it's not fair to say it's simply elementary. Uh, it, is, it does have some level of complexity, but it's not technical Greek, and he doesn't write, uh, as it were, for the philosopher, for the theologian. He's not writing for, uh, in technical terms, he's not making up a lot of different words. Paul makes up different words 
because sometimes the words that are available to him just aren't sufficient, and so some, occasionally he'll make one up and fit it in there. You don't see much of that in the Gospel of John, if anything. Uh, you see a very straightforward uh, vocabulary, sentence structure, his diction, the syntax is so straightforward that if you are just beginning your study of the Greek language, your teachers will send you to the Gospel of John to do your first work in translating because that's really on the, uh, the first level of learning in Greek that you can uh, get in on. Now to say that the language is easy is not the same thing as saying it's an easy book to understand. Some parts of it are. Other parts of it are very deep. And it's going to take a lot of thought and a lot of work in order to really unravel the full meaning. And I'm going to confess to you right off that we're not going to uh, get perhaps as deep into the meaning of some things, and there are going to be some questions that we will still probably have by the time that we finish this book. That's all right. We've got a lifetime to study it and a lifetime to work it out. I'm amazed at how after decades and decades of reading and studying this book, every time I open it, I will see something new, something fresh, and a connection that I had not seen previously. It is a, uh, it's a profound book, a amazing to, th uh, to think about, an amazing book to study. It is, who wrote the book? Well, the author of the book tells us at the end of the book that, uh, in the next to the last verse, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. What disciple? Well, the last episode that he relates takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. And it is a conversation between one of Jesus' disciples and Jesus. And mentioned in that discussion is another disciple, Peter, who's somewhere off in the distance there. And this disciple looks at that, uh, looks back at him, says, what about him? And Jesus says, none of your business what I've got for him. I've got something for you to do. You focus on that. Now, following that episode, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. He's writing in the third person. He's not writing in first person, but he is coming just as close as he can to doing that. He also speaks of himself as being an eyewitness to the death of Jesus. He saw it. He saw Jesus die on the cross. That's what we know about the disciple there. He also seems to refer to himself on a few occasions as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, that's not to exclude all of the other disciples from the love of Jesus, but it's to indicate that this, the person writing the book had a personal 
relationship with Jesus. And so he presents himself as an eyewitness of Jesus. So, who wrote the book? Someone may look at the title and say, well, John wrote the book. And I, I actually do believe that. But you have to understand that the gospel itself is anonymous. Nowhere does the author name himself. The name John is given to it by the early church as they collected the writings of the apostles and the associates of the apostles who had been authorized by them. They named those writings, but all four of the Gospels are anonymous. Let's talk about the four Gospels for a moment and the difference between them and the Gospel of John. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Each one of them is different. Each one of them contains different details. But they all follow a similar pattern. They are all, they all look at Jesus, as it were, with the same eye. They, uh, they follow the same uh, logic of presentation together with one another. And then they, but they have variations within the theme according to how that they are structuring the message and the particular message about Jesus that they're wanting to convey. The Gospel of John is distinct from them. And some have thought, well, John, writing later than the uh, other Gospels, later than the other Gospel writers, is wanting to fill in the gaps and bring in new information that the other gospel writers don't provide. Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's chasing a uh, a bad clue there, because John doesn't John's not writing. Remember to tell us about things that Jesus did in order to fill at, fill in what we don't know about Jesus. It's not his purpose to fill in the gaps. What is his purpose? that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's not trying to uh, cover material that the other gospel writers don't cover. That's not his purpose. That's not his focus. Now, he does do that. He does cover a lot of material that they don't cover, but he also uh, overlaps in some areas as well. But his purpose is not to do that. His purpose is distinct with the other gospel writers. They're wanting to share with us the accumulated knowledge of the early church about the life and the teachings and the message and the purpose of the life of Jesus Christ, which was to seek and to save the lost. But John, John's is more personal. He's bringing in information that the other gospel writers don't bring in. But it's not for the purpose of bringing in new information. It's not for the purpose of teaching us something new about Jesus. It is all to serve that end that we might believe and have life. 
the other gospel writers organize their material around the Galilean ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus moving beyond the Galilee and then taking it and going into the last week of his life, the passion story. John has a somewhat different approach. Now, the end of the book, the second half of the book, does follow the passion story, and, but it, does, it follows a different pattern of going into the passion story uh, than the other gospel writers. So much so that some have found contradictions between what John wrote and what the other gospel writers write. But John organizes his material not around the great Galilean ministry of Jesus, but he organizes his ministry around what he calls signs. And he includes seven of them. And one of the things that you'll see a lot of in John, you see groups of sevens and groups of threes. And we're going to, when we see that happening, we'll bring it up, we'll talk about it, we'll explore it. But right now, I want to talk about those seven signs. So let's just kind of herald what they're going to be and talk about what those signs are real quick. Um, in chapter two, Jesus performs a miracle at a wedding in which he changes water into wine. And we'll, don't worry, we'll get, talk about it when we get there. We're not going to really talk about that now. We're just going to mention it is designated as the first sign that Jesus performed. And then in chapter 4, we see him uh, healing a royal official, also coincidentally, perhaps, in the town of Cana. And, he, and this is designated as the second sign that Jesus performed. Now, John doesn't go on with the other miracles that Jesus performed and uh, belabor that as being, this is the third sign, this is the fourth sign, this is the fifth sign. He's just, already, he's just kind of gotten us into the pattern so that now we can see when Jesus is performing a miracle of some sort, it's not merely for the purpose of impressing somebody, nor is it merely for the purpose of uh, doing something good for somebody that uh, using spectacular and extraordinary means. There is a particular meaning of the word sign there. In the uh, book of Acts, we see the apostles performing signs and wonders. Only one time in the Gospel of John is the term sign, signs put together with the term wonders, and, that, and the term wonders is a term that he only uses there. Signs and wonders get people's attention. But that's not why Jesus performed these signs, and that's not the significance that John is drawing out from these miracles. Uh, the other gospel writers include a lot more miracles uh, that Jesus performed. John single brings these out, and most of the miracles that are performed that are related in the gospel of John are not related by any of the other gospel writers. Again, the point and the purpose is not to tell us something that the other gospel writers 
didn't tell us. There's a point that he's making with these signs. Signs, what do they do? They not only get your attention, but they also give you information and point you in a direction. And that's what these signs in John do. The third sign is related in chapter 5, in which on a Sabbath day, Jesus heals a man who had been lame for 38 years. And he was laying by the pool of Bethesda with a superstitious hope that if somebody could get him into the pool when it starts percolating and bubbling up, that he would be healed. Jesus heals that man. And it's not controversial because they because people don't believe that the miracle happened. It's controversial because he performed it on a Sabbath day. Now, you're not supposed to do that, but Jesus did it. That was a sign. The fourth sign that is related in the Gospel of John is also told in all of the other Gospels. It is the one miracle that Jesus performed that is related in all four Gospels. And that is when he fed a crowd of 5,000 men there with other members of their family using five loaves of bread and two fish and fed that multitude with that. That was a sign. John deals with that different from any of the other gospel writers. We're going to see it when we get there. And he's got a different point to make than the other gospel writers have. Following that, three of the gospels relate Jesus walking on water to his disciples out on the lake. And one of those is John. John also relates that, and his command and control over the elements even of the sea itself. And so we see that related as well. That is the, uh, the fifth sign. The sixth sign is related in chapter 9. Jesus does something, performs a miracle, no other prophet had ever performed. Moses fed multitudes with manna in the wilderness. At least that's how the Jews understood and portrayed that and related that. And uh, Elijah, uh, the prophet Elisha had fed a multitude, not quite as large of a multitude and not quite as a uh, minuscule amount of, an amount of food, and yet Elisha had done a similar miracle of feeding a multitude with a small amount of food. Uh, other, other prophets had performed healings before. But in this case, Jesus did something that was unprecedented in the form of, of miracles. It had never been done anywhere by any Old Testament prophet. It had never been done any time in history. He healed a man who was blind born blind. And that sets up a whole other discussion. That is the sixth sign. And the seventh sign, again, 
he does something that is absolutely remarkable. The prophet Elijah brought back people from the dead. The prophet Elisha brought back people from the dead. The prophet Elisha brought back a man from the dead after he had died. Jesus had also brought back a man from the dead before and brought back a little girl from death before. Those miracles are related elsewhere in other Gospels. But in chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, Jesus brings back a man from the dead who had been dead for four days. That is a remarkable miracle. No, it's more than a miracle. It's a sign. And every one of these signs begins to build on the other and to, and to describe more about who Jesus is and where he came from and what he came to do. And why don't you believe in him? These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. There is something behind these signs, and it, there's a lot of discussion among Bible scholars and theologians as to the meaning of them. I believe that ultimately the real meaning of these signs comes back to this. John, it is, I, I believe that John's writing by way of testimony. I believe that John is including these things, these signs in this book because these are the things that taught him who Jesus was and that led him to believe so that he had life in his name. I think there's something personal about it. And that's why John is relating these signs and not others. We could go on and on. But let's go ahead and bring this to a close for right now. Um, we'll talk about other things related to the background of the Gospel of John, the writer of the Gospel, and uh, various evidences for it. And we'll talk about other issues as they come up. We'll have plenty of time to do that. Right now, I'd like us to share a moment of prayer together. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, I pray your spirit will reach out to every person who is watching this video and sharing in this study. I pray that you will speak to all of us, speak to all of our hearts. I pray that you will enable us as we read and study the words of this book that we will be led to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we won't stop there, but we will have life in his name because the life is the purpose. I pray that we'll learn what that is and be led by your spirit to live it. I pray your blessing on each one who is viewing this. I pray that you'll keep us until the next time we can come together in Jesus' name. In the next episode, we're going to plunge into the great prologue to the Gospel of John. I hope you tune in. This is Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for listening.